Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world. From border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome today. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning into the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased today uh, to uh, have my guest, uh, Jolie Ritzo, Vice President of Strategy and Network Engagement for the Civitas Networks for Health organization. They are a national collaborative comprised of member organizations working to use health information exchange, health data, and multi-stakeholder cross-sector approaches to improving health. Jelly, thanks for joining the Take Chronicles. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, it's really timely that we're talking today because as I speak with you, uh, we're just a few weeks away from the annual Civitas conference, August 20th through 23rd. So it'd be interesting to kind of dive into some what you may think uh, some of the themes of that will uh, will be. But first, let me just ask you an overarching question. What is the mission of Civitas? Yeah, absolutely. Civitas, um, we are both both a mission-driven and membership organization. Mm. Um, our charge is really to both bring together our members from across the national network to provide opportunities for collaboration, education, problem solving, and certainly to support um, these um, community-governed, data-led, nonprofit entities um, so that they're not starting work from scratch and rather to continue to kind of illuminate what is working and what is not working. Mm. Um, but we also make sure that we're spending time with our federal partners and other national partners um, to create a bi-directional exchange of information. We believe strongly that um, there's a lot to be learned uh, region to region, and certainly as we dive into communities and, and sort of elevate the voices of those who are working locally, um, so that those who are implementing programs um, and regulation and, and sort of legislating on our behalf understand how it's playing out again in communities throughout the country. Um, so that bi-directional exchange is also critical to our mission um, and really with the sort of vision of seeing communities thrive as we continue to improve health broadly um, and also um, further interoperability. You know, one thing that that kind of brings up for me, Jolie, is the, uh, the the concept that at a national level there are standards and, and requirements around uh, the exchange and interoperability of of healthcare data, but how that healthcare care data can really be used to promote uh, equity, uh, social uh, determinants of health, those kind of things. That information often exists at a community or much more of a regional level than at a national level. So it sounds like your organization does a lot of work uh, in that regard. Absolutely. We were very much committed to that. And the reason I think, again, that we believe so strongly in, in these local efforts is that community governance is really critical 
to having um, both kind of the ability to collect data, to exchange data, and then to use that data in meaningful ways. And when I say community governance, you know, that's really having a very inclusive community table that has, you know, multiple stakeholders, payers, providers, purchasers, patients, um, public health, community-based organizations, um, and those that are going to uh, potentially benefit from solutions that may be implemented as a result of having better data to understand what is the community need. Now, um, what types, uh, kind of specifically organizations, make up your membership? Sure. Um, so Civitas right now um, has um, over 165 members across the country. We have members in every state. And we have three levels of membership. Um, we have our full members, our affiliate members, and our strategic business and technology members. The full members, uh, the requirement or the criteria is that they are nonprofit, they are community governed, and they're data led. So those are often health information exchanges, all payer claims databases, uh, what we refer to as regional health improvement collaboratives, um, many of the recognized quality improvement organizations. So that makes up the full member category. And then we have our affiliate category, which affiliates may or may not be nonprofit organizations. Um, they may or may not have that community governance structure, um, but they are very definitely aligned with the mission of Civitas and the work of our members. Um, our affiliate category is increasingly other national networks. So we have HIMSS, we have the American Academy of Family Physicians, Direct Trust, Academy Health, the National Association of Health Data Organizations, sure. um, among many others. And, and that's just an example. Again, there's about, you know, close to 20 uh, affiliate members. And then the strategic business and technology members are a really critical part of our thriving network that we're building. And these are often the um, technology um, providers. They might be supporting our full members with you know, interoperability solutions. They could be providing um, other sort of technical services to um, support the technical assistance that our members are providing. But they're sort of furthering the excellence of the full members. So that's a little bit about the, the members themselves. Sure. They, they are often a step or two removed from the actual delivery of care, but again, mm -hmm. are working pretty tirelessly to improve health. How does the communication take place uh, among your membership? Uh, how do you, uh, how is there an exchange of best practices? I, I know we, we've got the big annual conference coming up in August, but uh, yeah. other than that, what type of communication, you know, and uh, takes place and idea exchange? Yeah, that's great. And thank you for mentioning the annual conference. I feel like it is kind of the like the culmination of, of all the things we do throughout the year. Our community absolutely loves the opportunity to come together. There are strong relationships um, and there's just so many opportunities to learn, to network, to connect. Um, but we do that throughout the year. We mm -hmm. have a few different ways that we do that. So we offer various virtual events for our members. Um, we have what we call network news, which is our all member monthly meeting, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, again, pretty informational, but a great way to make sure everyone's sort of staying apprised to the happenings across the network. Um, we do public policy briefings for our members quarterly. 
um, where our government relations team does a very tailored report out on federal legislation and, and regulations that we should be um, staying um, sort of tuned to. And then um, we have what we call member roundtables. The roundtables are, are very different than say a network news where it's less didactic presentation and more focused on problem solving, working together, connecting, asking questions, being in meaningful discussion. Um, and beyond our structured virtual events, we host about eight different work groups um, and we also have councils. The work groups I would say increasingly are where our members are, again, engaging, meeting other uh, participants in the network, aligning around topics of interest or key areas of focus. Um, beyond that, we have many other communication channels. So we have a national newsletter that reaches about 2,500 recipients. Um, it uses machine learning. We, um, we do feed it content, but it also draws on our members' RSS feeds and other publications that we mm. think are relevant. Um, and what's really cool is that that tool, um, it, it produces uh, a newsletter that is, you know, again, dishing up content that's in, um, relevant to the, to the, uh, the person that's receiving it, and they can determine whether they want it daily, weekly, or monthly. Um, and we get, we have some pretty amazing open and click-through rates, but we also have social media channels on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, we are getting ready to launch a new blog, which we're excited about. So we, we do a lot of communicating both with our members and our industry partners. Um, and I haven't even talked about partnerships, but that's a whole other sort of strategy sure. to, have, um, to increase kind of collective impact and making sure that we're also working through our partner communication channels as well. You know, one thing I'm um, very interested in, I was uh, looking at your website and I ran across something called the Health Data Utility, HDU. Yes. Uh, what is that? looks like a, a pretty significant tool that's provided. Absolutely. So we did, um, in partnership with um, the Maryland Healthcare Commission, um, over this past year, we had an effort to both produce an in-depth issue brief on health data utilities, as well as the health data utility framework. The framework is meant to be a very sort of action-oriented guide to implementation. Um, collab uh, excuse me, so um, health data utilities are, are built on collaborative leadership, um, technical um, uh, capabilities. Um, they are um, very much sort of um, using both sort of um, increased privacy and security, but um, most importantly, I think it's building off of the infrastructure from um, health information exchanges, but really it's, it's about the expanded use cases. So going beyond just clinical data exchange to, um, you know, public health, social determinants of health, having, you know, specific Medicaid use cases, um, and really thinking again about having that um, increased um, or more more robust data to do sort of whole person care um, and have the ability to sort of you know better coordinate care and so on. So that's really the health data utility is um, we like to say models rather than just a model because we mm -hmm. recognize the variance state to state, region to region. Um, and we also believe that you know in some cases it it may be one entity, but in many cases it's likely going to be multiple entities working together. 
You know, we, uh, one thing I continue to be curious about, Julie, is the, the whole concept of interoperability and data. And we're getting closer and closer to increased interoperability. There's no doubt about that. The certification requirements, uh, the regulations around uh, information blocking, those kind of things. So all that data is beginning to flow. But uh, so technology is not the barrier, or it doesn't seem like it's going to be the barrier uh, to uh, equity and uh, and 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 really healthcare deliveries. What what are some of the barriers? Is it workflows? Is it understanding what to do with the data? Is it best practices? What what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that yes, that's I think just a incredibly important point, which is that it's often not the technology. Um, I think because we focus a lot on community governance and the importance of of um, sort of neutral convening and having. Um, multiple stakeholders um, engaged. We we know that to move data, you do have to have trust, and that that takes time. That you you have to uh, be very intentional about building relationships and partnerships. So I think that that can be a barrier if you don't have trust. Um, and then you know there are there still are things that make it challenging around you know data use agreements and mm -hmm. um, you know just navigating various sort of regulations state to state within various local jurisdictions um, and that does certainly present a barrier. I think that is actually really important both when thinking about sort of health data utilities but thinking you know more broadly about the work of Civitas members. Um, is just, you know, recognizing how their expertise in, in navigating those state and local regulations. Um, it's something they've been doing for many, many years. Um, and it, it is really important aspect to what's going to help the data to flow. And I think, you know, when we think about centralized national networks with sort of, you know, TEFCA, mm -hmm. you know, we, we think that there is still very much a place for these nonprofit community governed uh, data led entities to be very supportive and aligned with those efforts. Let me say to our uh, listeners right now, if you just joined this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm Jim Tate, uh, and I'm speaking with Jolie Rizzo of Civitas for Health. Let's let's go to a uh, history class for a minute, if you don't mind, Jolie. Um, so the very early attempts of exchange of data, I guess, were the uh, perhaps the uh, regional health information organizations, RIOs. Uh, and, and there could be one or uh, numerous ones in a state. There could be more than one uh, in a city, it all depended. And then we had the HIEs, health information exchanges. And uh, then we're moving forward towards more of a, lack of a better word, a national network of net, uh, networks, uh, TEFCA. Um, and and uh, that may be the final uh, or the next big step in terms of data exchange structure. But uh, what what was learned from those regional extension, I'm sorry, the, the RIOs, the regional health information organizations and the health information exchanges 
the knowledge gained there and and those uh, uh, the the importance of that uh, certainly is not going to go away with TEFCA or any other uh, really nationally uh, top down imposed interoperability structure. Hope that wasn't too confusing, but th the need for that community based interaction seems as timely now as it has ever been. Yeah, no, I, I completely um, agree with that. And I think, you know, it, it goes back to so, you know, back, you know, as far as 2009, when we sort of saw the investments in high tech and, and then looking mm -hmm. sort of over the past, you know, 10 or more years and sort of what was deemed the high tech era, you know, it allowed for health information exchanges, you know, across many of our states to um, you know, to both sort of be established and then to start to build out the infrastructure. I think, you know, now we're at a point where, again, we've seen sort of the evolution of health information exchange and we see these emerging health data utilities. And a big part of that is because of the infrastructure that was put in place and the key learnings of sort of mm -hmm. the, again, the inception of the health information exchanges. And there was a lot to be learned from the sort of EHR implementation and expansion and then being able to move clinical data. Um, as a result, that's kind of proof of concept that we can also move other health data. So having that reusable technology is allowing, again, for the expanded use cases um, that are really critically important as we start to want to truly do something about advancing health equity and addressing unmet health related social needs in communities and understanding that much of that happens sort of as we refer to as you know in the, the other 80 outside of the clinical walls um so i think mm -hmm. you know it's a combination of having both the the technical capability and infrastructure but it's also you know it took a lot of time to navigate state you know legislation and regulation and making sure that you know patients privacy and security were going to be sort of um, you know taken very well care of um, you know the data use agreements which I already referenced all of that also critically important um, and then having the trust of the communities that they're serving so you know that is something where there I think are deep lesson learned and and it really should not be overlooked because um, you know things like privacy, security, consent management, you know, patients increasingly wanting access to their data, but knowing that their data is secure uh, is is not to be overlooked. I'm glad you brought that up, the whole issue of the importance of trust. Uh, and you kind of mentioned maybe um, uh, not only trust from the patient level, but from organization to organization and provider to provider. Can you give a little more detail about how you define trust? in this arena? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think, you know, the, um, I don't know that I'm necessarily gonna define trust, but I would say that mm -hmm. the, this idea of neutral convening and bringing mm. sort of divergent perspectives closer together to understand sort of the value proposition or what's in it for them um, really does help and I, you know, our members are expert at doing just that, at sort of understanding both kind of what is the barrier to either sort of a willingness to share data um, or, um, you know, other barriers that may be coming up. And then looking at, again, 
you know, if if you looked at it with this lens, does that sort of change the way uh, you're thinking about this? And and being able to again bring forward different perspectives to help um, broaden the the understanding and sort of move in the direction of, you know, let's think about this more holistically from the sort of community perspective um, and remember kind of why we're doing this to begin with. Well, uh, that concept you're you're talking about, Jolie, of really communication. Um, among uh, folks and, and entities that as that communication takes place, that that builds trust in itself, uh, that that people are aware of what other folks are doing and can discuss the challenges. We've got a lot of challenges, uh, and we have some that are very specific to the U.S. Uh, we do not have a national patient identifier. So, uh, there uh, have been entities that ha have arisen to try and work through that to make sure that this patient we're looking at or the data that we're looking at really belongs to the patient we we want it to come from or that it applies to. So there definitely has to be work around that. So that is trusted. And just the quality of the data itself uh, that you're not only getting maybe a little sliver of the data, but some workflows in place uh, that uh, make sure that really all relevant data is being uh, not only exchanged, but uh, delivered to the provider or, or, or those entities that are doing research for those social determinants of, of health or, or health equity. So th there's got to be trust around those for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That I, I I think so. And you know, the other thing that is a really important component of sort of trust building as well is transparent decision making. Um, you know, having mm. sort of beyond doing sort of like having sort of that corporate governance. You know, having advisories, having um, you know insights into both sort of how data is being exchanged, how it might be being used. I think that's all, you know, important. And then we also, you know, you mentioned the need for standards. I mean, having clear standards and use of standards in place will continue to increase trust. Having quality data that you can rely on also increases the trust. I mean, when you think about um, having sort of the patient identifier, that is so critical, particularly when it comes to things like attribution and thinking about how that may then impact payment. and. Obviously, if, if you can't rely on that data being quality, well, then that impacts, you know, how providers and health systems are being paid. I mean, so there are implications and you could quickly lose trust if that wasn't done well. And I think, you know, in certain cases where data is being aggregated for either public reporting or for research, again, you have to know that you can rely on that because at the point that you're putting out public reports, Again, you want to make sure that you can use that in a way that's going to effectively move your community rather than creating sort of bruised reputations and hard feelings. Well, uh, one thing we've certainly learned about electronic health record systems over the last uh, decade or two is that they are extremely precise, but precision is not enough. There really has to be uh, data that is uh, trusted and is actionable. Again, not only for direct patient care, but for the benefits of uh, uh, data analysis and figure, figuring out what uh, zip codes uh, are most at risk for some particular 
type of health challenge and and how to identify and push uh, push resources to those zip codes or, or other social determinants. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned an important point, which is that, you know, it's not it's not sufficient just to, again, have the, the clinical data that, you know, we're at a point where we need to have that demographic overlay um, so that you can, you know, potentially do things like hotspotting. I mean, we saw many mm-hmm. of our members doing that um, during the pandemic. They were sort of ready partners to public health um, and and because they, again, had those capabilities um, and were able to pr- pretty quickly provide that information, which became life-saving in the sense that it helped, you know, states and localities quickly figure out how to resource, how to prioritize, um, to, you know, flag when there were available beds or not, um, where, you know, certain communities needed more either information or again, resources, whether that was, um, you know, there was, I feel like, you know, at that time it was PPE, it was, you know, it was various masks, it was tests, it was, you know, and, and that yes. know, all that long ago. And it is critically important to have that level of information. Well, a- absolutely. And I'm glad you brought, brought that up. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I, I want to underscore what you just said there, because uh, the ability to have access to that, that data and, and know uh, what groups were at most risk and uh, which groups really the um, vaccinations uh, you'll need to be targeted by, you know, geographically, age, whatever demographic might be involved, um, as well as in the early days of the pandemic, nobody knew what types of treatment were needed. So the ability of different organizations to communicate uh, really treatment protocols uh, could only be done almost at a peer-to-peer level. Um, That's so important. And one of the things I just wanted to quickly highlight, so, you know, we keep talking about, you know, having this data and how important that is. And and I want to just acknowledge the vision of Civitas when we decided to bring the Strategic Health Information Exchange Collaborative and the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement together, Mm -hmm. uh, these two leading national networks. The goal was, again, to have health information exchanges and those that were moving data um, closer to those who are taking that data and really turning it into meaningful action. And so we talk a lot at Civitas about sort of data and doing. And and that's really one of the things when we sort of dig into the theme at the conference this year around public-private partnerships that inspire health transformation, it's going to be a tremendous showcase of just that. You know, when health information exchanges work with their regional health improvement collaboratives or their quality improvement organizations. What does that mean for quality improvement or the cost of care or advancing health equity? Because again, the more sort of robust the data, the more sort of likely that then that data turns into action and we can actually do something about it. So we're seeing some really interesting um, work play out and I'm very excited to be able to, again, showcase that over the the three days of the conference. Um, How can our listeners find out more about uh, not only your mission and the work at Civitas, as well as the upcoming annual conference? Where can they get that information? So CivitasForHealth.org, our website, is a wealth of information. Um, And then from that, you know, we would encourage you to reach out to us at Civitas if you have additional questions. 
Um, but we have, you know, resources available around health data utilities. We have all kinds of information about the conference itself on the conference page. Um, we also share about other events. You can follow us again on social media, both on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and those are probably pretty great ways to, to stay engaged. And you can also subscribe to the national newsletter. You don't have to be a Civitas member oh, to okay. get our newsletter. That's great. And uh, let me underscore that. Uh, Civitas, C-I-V-I-T-A-S, civitasforhealth.org. Well, to our audience, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Tate Chronicles. I offer a special salute to my guest today, Jolie Rizzo of Civitas for Health. Jolie, thanks for coming aboard today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a wonderful conversation. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tate Chronicles transmission ending now.